this was a real work of week week of work both yes um (laughs) we spent the week monday through friday this past week feeding just the faculty and staff which is a nice like practice uh, warm-up warm-up to the the school year right (laughs) where we're feeding instead of our normal 700 people we're feeding about 120 140 depending on you know the support staff that are in and and you know security maintenance this kind of thing so yeah it was a nice we also you know we have more fun not to say that cooking for the kids is not fun but there are so many (laughs) safety protocols in place where it's like you know we have to have a across the board it's got to be kid friendly but then we also have to have gluten-free options and dairy-free options and we're a nut-free location and just like all this kind of stuff that with the adults we get to be a little bit more wiggly we get to make food that's a little bit more grown up we get to have more fun you know and uh because we've changed so many things going into this school year my staff is able to have fun and we're also putting into place a lot of the things we're changing which is nice to be able to try that stuff out a million years ago At my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Nice. So it went uh, well? Yeah, it's again, shockingly, and we'll talk about this later on in the episode too. It's shockingly different to be just doing my job, right? Because I am now fully staffed, not only with enough human beings in place, but these are human beings who have worked for me in this location. So they're trained on how we do stuff. They understand the menu. They know where things are physically in the building and whatever. (laughs) And they all get along with each other, right? So we're two steps ahead of where I normally start the school year, if not three steps ahead. Would you I'm very be excited about all that as appreciative of those? Uh, I don't know if little things is appropriate, but the knowing where stuff are uh, and things, things like that. Would you be a, uh, as appreciative of that? Had you not been through what you've been through? That's a great place for us to start, Steve. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And I guess when I named this show, I just picked a restaurant term that I thought this has universal appeal among people who have the same professional background I do, right? Everybody in the industry knows what it's like to fucking be in the weeds, right? We all know what that means. And I wanted to have this show be an accounting of the good, the bad, and the ugly. All the stuff that had happened in my career, including being in the weeds, right? It only just now occurs to me that, like, the entire industry has been in the weeds for, like, three and a half years. (laughs) Yeah. And I, at least, fingers crossed, knocking on all the wood I can. Like, knocking, like, pieces of wood together. (laughs) Am out of it. Because, again, I have six cooks that work for me, and that's the compliment that I'm supposed to have. They all get along with each other. I've watched over the last week. There's a there's a, a a blurry line between responsibility columns. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're the fry person, but you're also kind of helping salads plate up when they're really busy, like that's not part of your job, but you just do it because when the first course is delayed, that slows everybody else down and it messes up the thing. I've been watching my staff just do that, and it's been amazing. 
So, great, right? Like, I haven't had to direct them into doing that because these are all people that also, like, for some extent or some other extent or some lesser extent, they all care about each other, too. So that's just showing in the work. And you cannot buy that. You cannot train that. You have to hire for it with a very sharp eye toward looking to see if people are going to get along. And then you have to try it out. Yeah. I've gotten very lucky. And I don't I don't know that I would have appreciated this three years ago. Yeah. It's it's like, uh, I mean, I don't know if this ever happens in kitchens per se, because I think I feel like kitchens are pretty cemented because of uh, they're usually an afterthought by an architect if they're a thought at all or it's a building <laughs> right. that's been converted into something else so it's not like you can really move some move something but um you know coming into a kitchen and maybe the um sous chef or head chef executive chef or whatever just got to be in their bonnet and thought that you know what i've got a great way to reorganize dry storage and reorganize the freezer and reorganize and you walk in and then you know where nothing is yeah. Um, and it's day one all over again. Um, that, that, that would be, I imagine, the time when you would appreciate knowing where things are. But it's, it's one of those things that you don't realize how important it is until you have to train somebody new. And yeah. then you're like, oh, yeah, they don't know where the disposables are or whatever. I mean, I guess I should also say that at the very beginning of the school year, when we do all of these, again, very regimented trainings where we're we're all starting from scratch except a bunch of us have already done these trainings like 15 times it is a nice refresher and let's hope that my boss doesn't listen to this show for a bunch of reasons but <laughs> i'll admit right now we don't pay that much attention to the trainings when it's all of us who have already done the trainings before right especially if it's stuff that we all already know towel goes in the red sanitizer bucket well yeah that's how it goes right <laughs> that you want to have a a liner underneath your cutting board so it doesn't slide all over the place he well, yeah we know that right so when it's trainings like that and my company's really good at like these trainings are or at least could be used for training somebody who's never cooked before at all we're here to say we want to hire people who are good people who are reliable who are interested in making a career out of this and we'll start you from fucking scratch right and so some of the trainings to those of us who have been in the industry 5 10 20 30 years we're watching these trainings like who doesn't know this you know <laughs> but at the same time watching a new employee encounter these and listening to the questions that are then generated that can be very helpful we're not getting yeah. that this year but i'll trade that any day of the week for the fact that my staff all know each other and they know what to do and how to do it and when to do it you know yeah it's it's amazing i love that your company has a uh, end user licensing agreement that changes every year and you have to click <laughs> approve before you can start yes. work <laughs> yes it is something like 56 trainings that we have to do we sit down there's they're recorded it's a computer you know video thing where we have to talk throughout it and answer questions afterward in some cases it's it is comprehensive it's a really good idea now that i've been there for almost eight years and i've done all these trainings twice every year it's a bit dumb and boring for me but also <laughs> i'm supposed to be the expert at these things as the boss so great i am and i'm, I'm bored by the trainings because i already know all this stuff it's awesome the most entertaining one of those I've ever uh, participated in or, or watched would be the one that was for Barnes & Noble. I don't know if it's still the Barnes & Noble training video, but the guy in the video I did improv with and worked with you at Universal when I was in Orlando. And I was like, I know that guy <laughs> <laughs> doing this industrial film for uh, Barnes & Noble on stock loss and whatnot. That's amazing. Yeah. I, you know, have a number of people that I may or may not have um, 
known well when I was in high school, but I did attend the Interlochen Arts Academy, which is a world famous, I believe, performing arts high school. I studied creative writing. You see where that got me. But like we were at a hotel in Dubuque, Iowa, a couple of weeks ago, and my kids were watching TV because we don't generally like watch TV. They do a lot of stuff online, but we don't just have like broadcast television that comes into the house. And so we don't see a lot of commercials. And so there was a commercial for something. I forget what it was. And I looked at it and I went, I know that guy. And my kids are accustomed to me saying things that are kind of insane. And so I looked him up and I got his IMDb and I got and I showed my son. I was like, this kid went to my high school. He's a year behind me. And that didn't that was not the flex I thought it was. My 14 year old was not impressed with the fact that I knew a dude from a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) In this day and age. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Now, I mean, because it is my industry, my kids and I can't go to a farmer's market without seeing people I know. That's more impressive to them, you know. (laughs) You know the potato guy? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I revel in that kind of stuff. I mean, you know me. I want, like, I kind of want most of my in public interactions to be like the first three minutes of an episode of cheers like i want everybody to know who i am <laughs> I, always go, I always say that i don't want to be famous what i want to be is like hyper locally famous like i want to go into a coffee place and have them be like you're back I'm like yeah i am i'm back <laughs> see ages ago um it was when always sunny was in only season three or something like that but whatever uh, network it was on held a contest for like hey these guys sold this tv show to the network by making the pilot themselves so it was some promo for it's always sunny and basically it was like you make a promo for your thing and send it in but so my improv group in florida our our concept was local celebrities that was oh. our the show that we were we were pitching there's a whole thing about it but uh it reminded me of that and yeah you're you're the the chef would have been a great local celebrity the uh locally famous chef of whatever restaurant that's a great that's i'll I'll catalog that for use later (laughs) it would be it would be fun to to like redo cheers now but have it be accurate for now right so instead of the stereotypes they were working with right like the guy who's there in norm who's just there to get away from his wife the guy who's there in cliff clavin the fellow who has no friends whatsoever even though he's constantly surrounded by people because he's a mail carrier right like the failed actress the failed baseball star like all of these archetypes that were in there redo it so you have the influencer who only has like a couple hundred um followers you've got yeah the chef down the street who runs like uh, an upscale casual place, but he really trained for fine dining. And you just, you know, you pick these archetypes and then run with that. Yeah. I, I would watch that show. Well, you know, Kramer's coming back. Did not know that. Yes. So Is Kelsey he super racist Br- still? I, I don't know. And I'm like, is it still going to be a Colin radio show? Which they do oh, still Frazier. exist. Frazier's coming back. I'm sorry. Yes. What did I say? Kramer? Yeah. Yeah. Fra- Although, put those two together. That show would be wild. Yes, Frazier's coming back. Kramer, what is... Kramer. Oh, Jerry. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Frazier. Frazier. Um, Kramer is a spinoff that um, we never had. Uh, Frazier's coming back. Um, yes. Uh, and, um, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a call-in show still. They still exist. But, you know, uh, I guess it's not going to be in Seattle or okay. Portland, wherever it was. Seattle. Um, and his brother's not going to be there. His dad, of course, is not going to be there. The dog is probably not going to be there. Maybe they'll get the British lady. Daphne, Who knows? Yeah. And maybe his coworkers. It, it'll be interesting. Like, is he doing a podcast now? I don't know. Hmm. Wild. Yeah. That's a show that I 
don't believe I ever watched all the way through, but I could watch pretty much any episode, I think. Yeah. Like, I yeah. could just watch them. Yeah, I've never, I don't think I've ever, uh, it wasn't a show that I followed much, but, like, I recognize a lot of the stuff from it because it's just sort of part of the uh, Zeitgeist there yep. for a while. Yep. Man, so, before we get into any of our articles today, can I brag to you about a sandwich I just made? <laughs> Always. So, my company has started doing, I don't know, it's one of these forced fun things that I'm not a huge fan of in general, where it's like, look, I'm busy enough. They th Some of the trainings that we have have, like, games associated with them, and my staff is very appreciative of the fact that I don't make them play these fucking games. It's it's generally for places like if if we have a college and they've got like 40 employees, but my six employees are not going to play a card game to knife skills, right? Something like this. So there are these promotions, there are these like in-house things, and one of them now is a sandwich competition. And my boss very particularly pointed me out and said, you need to submit a sandwich to this thing. So I was like, all right. I am well known as a slut for grilled cheese and such, so fine. And uh, in particular, he wanted me because nobody had chosen to make a smoked salmon sandwich for obvious oh. reasons, because that's weird. And so I was like, all right, man. And so my immediate thought was I would make a everything bagel, like everything locks and bagels sandwich. So it would be like a pretzel bun. It would be cream cheese that has everything bagel seasoning mixed into it sliced red onion and cucumber and tomato and probably like a watercress or an arugula or something like that and smoked salmon fine right and i was talking to another friend of mine named joey about this and he said no 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 you're missing the point here if you keep kosher and you want to have a reuben you can't have it because that's cheese it's got swiss cheese on it and corned beef and both of those things are separately kosher but in kosher law you can't combined meat and milk right right so he was like you can make smoked salmon with pastrami seasoning on it which i've done in the past when i worked at fancy hotel downtown i was i made all the smoked salmon for the brunch and we would do all we would do beets we would do grapefruit smoked salmon we would do all this different stuff and i have done pastrami smoked salmon so you make a reuben except you remove the corned beef and you add pastrami smoked salmon to it boom not only is it kosher it's was shockingly good it was extremely good <laughs> i made my own thousand island dressing which ladies and gentlemen is just as simple as you think it is it's mayo and ketchup and relish and chopped up onions a little bit of lemon juice a little bit of salt that's pretty much it uh i was nervous about it so i made it for myself before i decided to write it up and submit it for this contest but i am absolutely writing it up and submitting it for this contest it was really good i'm very full now like it was a big sandwich but uh <laughs> yeah i was i was happily surprised Nice. Um, it reminds me of two. Remind me of two things. First thing is, have you ever seen uh, Delirious with John Candy? No. He is a, uh, a soap opera writer. Gets knocked unconscious, wakes up in the world of his, the soap opera, and then realizes that if he writes something, it happens. Oh. It's one of it's one of if not my favorite John Candy movie, and just a fabulous movie um, in general. But one of the characters, uh, he writes in that his favorite deli from New York is in this small town. And then he's walking with this girl and she's like, what's this place? He's like, I don't know. Looks like it just opened. Let's go in. And then he goes <laughs> in. But anyway, she orders uh, lox and cream cheese on cinnamon toast. Ooh. And the guy behind the counter is like, get it out of here. <laughs> um, There's, so it so, me of that. 
um, sorry to cut into the middle of your two things, but there's a um, Mitch Hedberg thing where he's talking about people making crazy sandwiches for some reason, and he's got some sort of uh, yeah, it's like a pastrami on banana bread with chocolate syrup <laughs> or something. He makes up some crazy sandwich. I'm gonna have to look that one up because I man, I haven't listened to enough Mitch Hedberg recently. Well, you know that's a good segue because there's no need to bring bring ink and paper into this. <laughs> uh, I just sent you when you said that you're a well-known grilled cheese slut. Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah, I'm a slut or for slut for grilled cheese. Uh, discovered this place, which recently opened um, near. Well, I don't know about how near you, but near you, as in Chicago area. And it is. Do you, do you have it yet? I do. Donut slut. Fine ass yeah. donuts. Organic ingredients. Yes. And. Um, so Kayla came across this th- because of work somehow. I forget uh, forget exactly how. Or maybe I don't. I just don't want to share. But um, was looking and I don't even see it here. Uh, but they had we were we were laughing a bit because they had one that was a fruity pebbles donut. Yes. But um, they spelled it wrong. Uh, so one was fruity pebbles, and then they got, and then they got fruity right, but it was uh, fruity uh, peoples or uh, peebles. Oh, like Mario Van Peebles. F- fruity pebbles. That's what it was. Fruity oh. pebbles, which we were laughing about because we figured that maybe someone just always knew um, that, uh, or, or or always assumed that it was uh, fruity pebbles, and, and never <laughs> actually looked it up, like you know you do sometimes. And um, oh, it's I guess it was in the. Uh, the two misspellings I just sent you as well. Um, but anyway, I, I don't know how... I, I mean, it's just a donut shop. So on the one hand, like, okay, it's just a donut shop. It doesn't have to be a great name. But I'm torn. I don't know if Donut Slut is a great name or a terrible name. It rolls off the tongue very well. Depends on two things. It depends on who owns it and who decided on the name. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I am interested because it looks like it's a pop-up where they show up in coffee shops because they have a thing on their website that says click here for today's location. So I don't know that they have a brick and mortar necessarily, uh, but they are they're currently right downtown, at least according to this today. They're uh, at 1605 West Grand, but they have what appears to be a savory donut, which is a loaded baked potato donut. Yes. Yeast, yeasted round, mashed potato filling, cheese, chives and bacon. Look, am I in for a for a savory donut? If it sounds like this, yes. There are ways to do it and there are ways to not do it. But it looks like for the most part what they're doing is making donuts and then putting crazy shit on top of them. I'm pretty much always here for that. That's a thing that I'm I'm a fan of as long as it makes sense, right? Yeah. Obviously they're on the Barbie thing right now too strawberry bright pink icing pink yellow and white sprinkles and glitter okay that's fine uh the you don't want to get too crazy with the flavors of a barbie donut because the notion of barbie is that she's fairly vapid anyway so fine you know it looks like they're they're not their their menu's not super extensive which is fine as well uh don't don't get out of your abilities you know yeah great there's no place here to see like here's our story or whatever so (laughs) yes (laughs) so if this like i hate to say it like this but if it's some dude not to say dudes can't be sluts but if it's some dude and this is his thing then uh, that's a little more 
that's a little less awesome. Yeah. Let's see if I can find their Instagram. <laughs> I love when uh, places uh, their Gmail addresses because yeah. when you combine everything, then you want to read them um, differently. Um, so, because so this is D O N U T S L U T C H I, um, which is donut slut shy, but you want to say do not slutch, <laughs> do not slutchy. What is what is do do not slutchy? <laughs> so yeah, I I do not uh, as it were know anything about this. The donuts look really good though, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think they're like brand spanking new. Well, they can't be that new because we have one. The one menu has a s'mores donut, so maybe they were doing pop ups before, and this, the yeah. Grand Avenue is their actual physical location now. Oh, that um, could be. Yeah, that could be. Oh, oh, it was fruity with two T's, fruity pe- uh, pebbles or uh, yep, uh, fruity pebbles. <laughs> the mango, the mango tahin one sounds really good. What is what is tahin? So it's like a uh, salt and chili sprinkle. And oh. in um, Mexico, like Central and South America, you'll get uh, fruit, like cantaloupe, um, watermelon, mango, papaya, that has this stuff sprinkled on top of it. So it's fruit that is sweet, but it also has, I think tahin might also have like a lime zest component to it. Okay. But it's like a little bit spicy, it's a little bit salty, and it, it complements the fruit really well. Very cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, you know, in one picture, I thought maybe they were... Kayla and I went to a donut place. We like to try to get local donuts, but we went to a place in Jacksonville, Florida, that was Instagram donuts, and they were terrible. And at first, I thought maybe this is the place, but looking at them here, I don't think that's the case. They're just, like you said, they're doing like a donut, either um, a glazed yeast... I mean, either a yeast donut or an old-fashioned donut, and then they're um, covering it with stuff. And looks like it is actually thought out, not just, you know throwing stuff at the wall yeah and i go back and forth because like if you can put stuff into the donut dough itself right without ruining it fine do that right so if you have like a like a a blueberry donut and it's the dough itself has blueberries in it and then you just glaze it great if you start with a fairly complicated donut dough and then you're putting more stuff on top of it it gets sort of muddled in a hurry you know yeah what i like about this is that like what you just said they're starting with a base of one or two types of dough, and then they're putting stuff on top. Great, do it that way. Yeah. Use the dough itself as simply the canvas. Absolutely, and if they're and if that dough is good, like if they if they have a baller uh, yeast donut and a baller uh, old fashioned donut, then I mean you don't need to try yeah. to hide that uh, right. too too much. You know, just put stuff on it. That's that's the way to go. Yeah, agreed. I I'm when it comes to donuts, I'm fairly open like my tastes are pretty broad but at the same time like if you're doing a chocolate cake donut i'm out because (laughs) no chocolate cake anything actually really tastes that good because it's not chocolate it's cocoa that's different right and so if it's a chocolate cake donut that's glazed i'm like i don't i'd rather eat oreos and which is roughly the same thing it's crunchy (laughs) you know so give me a a raised yeast ring that's got a, a chocolate peanut butter glaze on it or something like that that's that's more my speed yeah the last place we went to we got i got a chocolate uh cake donut to try just as a like oh this is a different one we'll try this one and it was 
it was literally like chocolate cake, which is fine, but that's not a donut. That's chocolate cake, and it, it, yeah. it just tasted like a cupcake. So yeah, that's donut uh, sluts. I mean, yeah, really, donut like, look, if there were a whole slot empire where there's, like, donut sluts, there's burger sluts, there's, like, what else, poutine slut, like, there's a lot of things that, a grilled cheese slut, right? Like, yeah. I'm here for all of that. I would, I would go to all those places. <laughs> you hear that, donut slut? You, uh, you can have an empire. Like, milkshake slut? Yeah, totally do that, too. Yeah. I think donut slut still rolls off the tongue the best or the easiest, yeah. probably because it kind of rhymes. So, well, that and there are certain things that wouldn't work, like soup slut. That doesn't sound good <laughs> at all, right? Sushi yeah. slut, I'm here for that. I yeah. also let's be very clear, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very egalitarian about this, and I do not assign gender to any person's sluttiness. Right? Again, I am a slut for grilled cheese. I have been known to make grilled cheeses out of. I think my record is six different cheeses. That's pretty <laughs> slutty, right? Like, I haven't done it in a while because I'm a little afraid for my, like, coronary health. But, you know, like, but I have done it. I accept that about myself. Yeah. Hey, famously, lo locally famously, I made a hamburger once for myself where instead of a bun, I use two grilled cheeses. I am yes. a grilled cheese and a burger slut at the same time. That's like a <laughs> menage a trois of myself as sluts. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could you could just call that sandwich the menage a trois. Yeah, yeah. Fromage a trois. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And we're done. That's it. <laughs> Pack it up. The jokes don't get better than that. 27 minutes in, we're done. We're done for the day. <laughs> uh, Yowzer. All right. Okay, so. <laughs> we had articles or something. <laughs> yes, and I wanted to start with one that you sent me. Let's go. Let, let's take this all jolliness and laughter away. Uh, let's talk about the article you sent me about a place near you that's closing called Fire and Ice Pizza. Yes. And I want to start by saying, if you have a place that makes pizza and also does ice cream... You cannot have a better name than Fire and Ice. That's amazing. Yeah. Excellent work to whoever opened that place up. Yes. Um, and I I sent this to you because I thought it was like there has to be more to the story. I felt. Um, well, maybe, maybe. So, just going by the article you sent me, um, and I'm going to quote from it here. It's been a tough week for restaurants and bars in northern Berrien County. Several have abruptly closed or announced plans to close soon. This is only from like a week and a half ago. Yeah. The latest restaurants to drop out of the latest restaurant to drop out of the race is Fire and Ice Pizzeria and Creamery in St. Joe. Fire and Ice has been a favorite spot for families, group gatherings, and pizza parties. The culprit, once again, seems to be a lack of available available labor and staffing issues that couldn't be overcome. Short story on this, we're coming to the end of the summer. College kids who have been working at this place and high school kids who have been working at this place are about to go back to school, right? Now, I don't know about this restaurant's model in the past, but the thing that I wonder about is what's different right now that from, like, let's say four years ago, pre-pandemic, who would have been working there then after the high school kids and the college kids went back to school? Yeah. Uh, and... So part of my confusion is, I mean, and I feel like 
Um, I mean, I'm not I'm not accusing them of anything by yeah. any means. But part of my confusion is they say that the building will still be available for rental and private parties, and that they will uh, keep the ice cream around for private events and catering. So it seems like they own the building. They own the building. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so if that's the case, and you're just short staffed, what's to prevent you from being open less hours or fewer days of the week and staying open like that and and um because if you're if you're keeping the empty building and going to just hire it out for parties then being open two days a week should have been tenable right right um so that's why i say there must be a little bit more like there must be a just in if nothing else in terms of emotion um, well, that or like, let's say best case scenario, they need 10 full time employees to run the place seven days a week. Right. And after they lose their high school students and their college students, they've got four. Right. Maybe it makes financial sense for them to fire those four people and only bring on temps when they're doing these parties, because keeping those people on, they can't guarantee them full time. So they're going to lose those people anyway. Right. Like those people will in like they weren't able to go down to part-time or they would have to have found other jobs anyway. And so rather than just we're, we're losing some of our staff to go back to school, no matter what they did, they were going to lose the rest of their staff as well. Yeah. Is the only thing I can think of. And like, look, it's hard to hire in Chicago. The only reason, and I'm going to say this with all the pride that I can muster. The only reason I'm fully staffed right now, is because I had a staff member leave in the middle of last school year for very personal, very valid reasons that had nothing to do with the job this person was doing for me or the job that needed to be done, right? There was no professional issue whatsoever. And this person begged to come back to work. So I'm fully staffed because there are six people who want to work specifically for me, right? But it is extremely hard to hire right now. It's very, very hard. So I can't imagine what they're looking at if they need to replace all these people and they're getting like no applicants at all, what that sort of a decision tree looks like, you know? Yeah. I mean, the cynic in me uh, says, well, pay more and you'll, <laughs> you'll get people. But I know that it's not that that's very flippant and it's not necessarily as easy as that. Yeah. I'm going to look for it right now because I should have saved this anyway. And I did not, um, I saw a post on Instagram recently where it was a restaurant saying, you know, it, it was basically a call out to all of their loyal, friendly customers, whatever. Look, sorry, you're going to see a price increase at our at this location. You're going to see menu prices are increasing. Here's why. Shit is more expensive. It's just harder to make money right now and we're having to raise prices and i'm, I'm not going to be able to find it i really should have uh saved this a little bit more uh officially you know but i'll be honest with you i was really pretty impressed with somebody not only doing that not only saying look if we want to be profitable take care of our staff be able to pay for all the stuff that's coming in-house, be able to take care of our customers. We have to charge more money. I was impressed with someone having the sack to actually like write that down and post it. It was, yeah. it was impressive. Well, and I was going to say, you know, as well as if going uh, seasonal or going to a fewer days a week, the, there are um, 
food cost issues or storage issues that yeah. you would have there that you wouldn't have if you're an every day of the week outfit. Um, but pizza seems like it should be an easy thing to to be able to do that with because you just freeze everything, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, as long as you trust your freezers, yeah, you should be good. It's. I feel really strongly for anybody who works in a, a tourist town, in a seasonal tourist town. Coming from yeah. Traverse City, Michigan myself, I know exactly what that's like, where it's like, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to do 90% of our business during a quarter of the year. And then the rest of the year, boy, I hope you saved your nickels because it's going to be rough, right? Yeah. So luckily for me, Traverse City was a there's a big boom in the summer but there is a decent tourist trade up there during the winter it's spring and fall you have to worry about so it's really split kind of in half to a certain degree like the notion of well don't open a restaurant there yeah i get that but some of these places have been around for a long long time or families have lived there for a long long time you have to do something right you have to have some kind of job i don't know enough about this fire and ice place to know whether or not they were like an established place and maybe this is going to be you know awful for everybody in the community i don't know or if they've only been around for a little while well it's not too long ago there was that other place right here even closer to me that had closed that was conceptually interesting but also a little confusing yeah that was the uh you know it's pottery pottery night at whatever it was and then uh, Um, and then they'd move to a catering venue, but I saw like, I thought moving vans outside that place the other day. So I don't know if it's done entirely now or, or not. Uh, they've started, it looks like they started work on the, uh, the round barn, uh, modifications to the church building. Oh, nice. They, a bunch of bushes have been cut. It looks a hundred percent better already. And, uh, so I don't know what, I don't know what's next or I don't know. And, and. Uh, rather nor do i know how long that's going to take so that'll be interesting if this is august and not so it's maybe we'll call it the week of the 26th this is saturday so whatever monday was um and we'll have to uh check in then to see when it's done how long a process it takes to convert a church to a working (laughs) restaurant well and a, a completely unrelated thing if any of you were living in Chicago or in the Midwest in general and were around last week, we had three days where temperatures were either nearly or over 100. So there's a restaurant here in town that I quite love called Pauly G's Logan Square, which is a pizza place, right? They do those wood-burning, like wood-fired ovens, the hearth pizzas. They closed Wednesday and Thursday last week. So what – and it was just because it was hot. Right, it was so hot the AC couldn't keep up with it, and it was a danger not only to their staff initially, but to patrons as well. Because, ladies and gentlemen, keep in mind, whatever temperature you're feeling in the dining room, it's 30 or 40 degrees warmer in the kitchen, no question, right? So if it's 101 outside, like it was last Thursday, and it's eh, you know 80 in the dining room, then it's 110 in the kitchen. You can't work in that. You absolutely cannot work in that, especially if you're also reaching into an oven, which is just open all the time, right? So they caught some flack online, like, oh, you babies, just get back in there and make more pizza. And it's like, no, that's like physically hazardous to human life to be back in that space right now. Yeah. And that couldn't have been an easy decision either, right? To be like, well, we're going to lose two days of business because it's hot out. I noticed that there was a restaurant here in town that is not a wood-fired pizza place that also closed it was just the whatever the day was the hottest they're like it's too hot in the kitchen or maybe it was two days and they're like we're closing today and tomorrow um which which surprised me because it felt like florida to me and but uh but when i think about air conditioning like we don't have the same sort of 
units connected to buildings yeah. up here that they would down there. So that that does make sense that it's you know not going to be able to handle it quite as well when it well, gets so up to those temperatures. I was talking to my staff about this because we came in on Friday. So I made the mistake of biking to work on Wednesday. I was like, yeah, it's going to be hot, whatever. I What I do is I drive to near my children's school in the morning and I have my bike strapped to the back of my car and then I bike from my car to work. It's about seven miles. And then I bike back to my car, pick my kids up, right? It's the only way to do it because there's no good way to go between my house and my work, right? And still be able to pick up my kids. So... On Wednesday, when I did that, by the time I got into my car and turned the car on, the thermometer was reading 102. <laughs> and I realized, oh, that's probably why I'm kind of dizzy, right? Oh. But so Friday morning when we all came into work, there was water dripping out of the vent system in the ceiling of the kitchen. And it didn't bother us. It wasn't in a place where it was like raining on our heads. But even in a building as big and established and well taken care of as the building we work in is... It's not set up for those kind of temperatures and that kind of uh, humidity. So the the ducts themselves were condensing so hard that we were getting, like, essentially rain in the kitchen on Friday. Ugh. It didn't bother me, but it was also, like, you could see it in some of the light fixtures. And I'm like, that ain't cool. So maintenance oh. came in. And, and all, what they had to do was climb up into the ceiling and legitimately take towels and dry off the exterior of the ductwork. Well, there, there's that I must have been the same where you are or worse, uh, but there's that one day where it was it wasn't the heat. I mean, it's a, the a trite saying, but it wasn't the heat. It was the humidity. It was like walking through a, a water. It was just so humid outside. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I imagine that any air getting inside was immediately condensing on any surface that was colder than than, uh, than, than outside. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, I have to acknowledge my privilege, man. I work in a really well taken care of space with air conditioning and all of this. Like, it's not like I'm working in a pizza place that's 110 degrees, which I feel very grateful for. Uh, so if the biggest problem that I have is that there's a little water dripping from the ceiling because we're being taken care of so well, I'm okay with that. And I really only alerted maintenance because I wanted to make sure it wasn't part of a much larger problem, right? Like, I don't want to be the guy who sees a waterfall the next day and goes, I should have said something about that yesterday. Yeah. Like, no, 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 I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> Especially now that you're fully staffed and actually have to worry a little bit more about uh, your bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. And also, like what you were saying a minute ago, we're just not set up for it, right? So we're just not set up for – we don't have the infrastructure in place. Like, yeah, walking outside, it was like walking into a giant mouth, and I it was gross. <laughs> but, like, we weren't going to die. And like you were saying, it was like Florida. But I was thinking about my folks up in northern Michigan where it did not get as hot as that. But if it would have – my parents don't have air conditioning because they've never needed it. They live in northern Michigan, right? Yeah. Like, that's not the concern. The concern isn't, oh, I'm going to be too hot, you know? The concern is it's going to get so cold out my windows are going to shatter, you know? Like, you have to right. worry about the other <laughs> side of it. Absolutely. Yeah, there's the one day, and I don't think it was when it was so humid because it gets humid in Florida, but either I haven't been down there in long enough or it doesn't get as humid as it did that one day up here because that was like walking outside was like getting punched in the face with a sponge yeah. and uh but but the other day when it was when it was less humid but it was uh hot i was like oh man i feel weird that i'm not in costume at universal right now <laughs> <laughs> so but uh but yeah that one day was so so swampy and gross yeah Yep. But to go all the way back to fire and ice, I agree with you. Um, the, the simplest answer is offer more money, pay more money to your staff, charge more money on the menu. 
that's going to be the only sustainable route forward for restaurants. I hate to say it. Prices are not going to go down. Inflation has already come down a bunch. We have the lowest inflation we've had in like three or four years. But once producers of items have realized that they can blame inflation and raise the prices, they're not going to bring the prices back down. They're happy to make that money, right? Yeah. We in the industry are still going to be paying more for our food. We're going to be paying more for our electricity. We're going to be paying more for trash removal, gas, all of this stuff. Prices have to go up. Wages have to go up. That's the only way forward. It is going to suck for the first two, three years, right? Unless we have like a legitimate legislated wealth redistribution in this country which is never going to happen right <laughs> uh but the money is drying up from the bottom up and yeah and it's this is how empires fall right like this this is why the french spent some time cutting the heads off of aristocrats a while back it's exactly this yeah except now they can get away yeah yeah so yeah I, yeah geopolitically i have no answer to this but like in a very granular sense if you are running a restaurant and you you find out quote nobody wants to work anymore nah it's nobody wants to work for what you're paying and it may not be your fault right everything yeah. they're buying is more expensive as well so if you're paying your staff 12 bucks an hour you're not going to have any staff simple as that yeah if they can make more money with their only fans or whatever then uh that's what they'll do yeah deliver for amazon do some Grubhub, and then yeah put pictures of their feet online <laughs> great there you go that's a whole life i don't get it but that's a whole life right there yeah yep hey do, do your thing donut slut telling you if there are people out there who want to watch an out of shape mid-40s guy cook i'll have an only pans right now <laughs> i'll start sauteing shit immediately yeah <laughs> i you need you need a youtube channel that's called that now and do there's that. no way i made that up there's no way that i made that up that's that one's too easy uh. Fromage à toi. I'll just make really huge grilled cheese sandwiches all day. Yes, do it. Someone's <laughs> got to be into it for for who knows right. what reason. Do it yeah. honestly and then let them pervert it. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> all right. What's the next thing you want to tackle here, Steve? Oh, let me get back to our list. Oh, so one thing I want to talk about first, we went back to... Uh, Village Creamery the other day. My daughter um, wanted to go. Look, okay, so I'm just going to say this right now. I generally don't trash places if I don't like them. You're going to hear me for the most part talk about places that I love, and that's kind of it. But this one's not going to get hurt by any means, and I'm also not going to give away the location. But I picked my kids up from school, and my daughter says, can we go get ice cream? And I looked at her, and I said, you want to go to the Dunkin' Donuts that's near us? baskin robbins combo thing don't you and she goes yeah and i said no and she kind of gave me a weird look because my daughter's not that much used to hearing me say the word no she kind of gets what she wants right it's the it's the, the, the arrangement we have <laughs> i've been to how many dunkin donuts have i been to in my life steve probably 20 or 25 different locations in which in is the time you know 0.01 percent yeah 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 they're franchises and you can definitely tell that it's not a corporately run thing because every single one of them is not wildly different in product. All of their uh, merchandising is the same. Their, you know, whatever. Pricing is the same. They're offering the same stuff. It's training. It's managing. It's employees. It's all of that. There is a Baskin-Robbins Dunkin' Donuts between where I pick my kids up from school and our house that we've stopped at before 
best service ever. The employees looked happy. They were having a great time. And that matters. We've talked about customer service before. It matters. The one that's like walking distance from my house is one of the worst run businesses I think I've encountered in a very long time. Been there six or seven times now in the last year. Every single experience is worse than the previous one, right? <laughs> so the last time we were in there, first off, they're always understaffed, which may or may not be their fault. But again, I always blame the bosses. I always blame the managers. Yeah. Nothing really is the employee's fault, ladies and gentlemen. That's the short story on this. We walk in. They've got the coffee counter and the like smoothie blended drinks area. And then they've got the ice cream, right? We go over to the ice cream. Every time we've been in there, you walk right up to the ice cream counter. You order from the person who's there. And then you pay over by the coffee donut area. Walk over and there's this lady who's clearly the manager. Very, very slowly frosting an ice cream cake. Just taking her time. There's two other employees who are handling three or four other customers who are over at the donut coffee section. We stand there. She looks up at us, goes back to what she's doing. It's easy a full minute, if not longer. She looks up and goes, you have to order at the other counter, and goes back to what she's doing. So I looked right at her and I went, that's new. We walked over to the other counter. And we placed our order. Now, we didn't have the ice creams in front of us, so my daughter and my son are running back and forth to make sure that they're telling them what they want at the counter the people at the counter look confused and then one of the people at the counter the coffee donut area has to go over and with the manager standing right there just lackadaisically icing this ice cream cake scoops out all of our ice cream and whatever and then we all have to then walk back over to the other place to pay at the register and we walked out of there and i looked at my kids and i said we're never coming back here ever again this is just gross how badly this place is run and uh yeah just not going back <laughs> it you know it's it, one of the problems with having kids is when someone says you have to order at the other counter you can't say no i don't and leave yeah exactly exactly like because that was my first thought well my, my first thought was is it possible for me to flip this entire ice cream display over and i thought nah probably not and yeah my second thing was i was gonna be like well fuck you then and just walk out but you can't do that in front of your children right so having said all of that stuff, the deal we made is that I made dinner and then after that we went to Village Creamery, which is this um, Filipino ice cream place up in Niles, which is uh, about a 10 or 15 minute drive from us. I had leche flan ice cream, which was amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Basically tasted like cereal milk. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Nice. My son had a scoop of passion fruit ice cream and a, pa a scoop of chocolate together not wouldn't have been my combo he loved it my daughter had like a birthday cake looking one and my wife had coconut but it's got a different name i forget what the i forget what the thing was it's a very particular type of coconut they were all amazing and i highly recommend village creamery and niles don't go to dunkin donuts especially not the one in my neighborhood <laughs> i just realized that the one within walking distance of your house is no longer the one that i'm familiar with correct that's the one I was envisioning for most of that story. and then That's like, the one Wait. where they were putting buttermilk in people's coffee. That was the one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The one that I, was right there on LeClaire, I want to say. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. It, it was whatever. Uh, Laverne. No does. Laverne. Yes. Ir Irving and Laverne. Yeah. Shirley. Shirley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was on Laverne and Shirley. Um, yeah. I, there was another one, I think, that had been doing it. Because that's not the one where I got the awful... Um, iced coffee <laughs> but it, that had to have been the same deal so maybe there was just a huge mix-up corporately or or um, uh, among a few franchises 
in Chicago for a week or so back in, you know, 20 whatever. Because, yeah, um, they're, they're about to open a Duncan here in Niles, Michigan. The building externally is complete, so they still have to oh. fill it with buttermilk. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, I want to be fair to people who are in a management position over other people. There are two really important things everyone needs to understand. This is, this is completely separate from people who are just bad managers. The first one is not everybody is going to be good at that job. There are people out there, I would say the vast majority of people, are not good at managing other people. I've worked for lots of them who are just terrible at managing people, right? Because yeah. there are ways to encourage your employees, to give them a sense of ownership but not demand a sense of ownership out of them, right? Which is the wrong way to do it. What you do is you involve them in decision-making. You give them as much information as you can without, you know, violating confidentiality kind of stuff. You, you, you praise them in a way that makes them feel like they are an improvement over just you are a body who works here, right? Like that kind of stuff. Not everybody is capable of doing that. That's fine. There's all kinds of stuff out there I'm not capable of doing. This happens to be a thing that I am pretty darn good at. The second thing is nobody trains you for that. Manager training is all about efficiency. It's all about getting the product out. It's all about, you know, cutting costs and all of this kind of like numerical nonsense, right? It's not about how to get the best work out of your people because they want to give you the best work, not because they have to, right? That's not how managers are trained, and it's weird. It's very weird. Yeah. So I do want to be fair to managers in that. However, if you're a bad manager, you're also still a bad manager, so you yeah. should do something else with your life. And to be fair to the concept of Dunkin' Donuts, uh, there was a Dunkin' Donuts that Kayla and I stopped at on our way to Florida one year. It was in the middle of Georgia, I believe, somewhere. And I believe it was also attached to a gas station, but it was like a full Dunkin' Donuts, not, you know, um, not like just in, a, in the corner of yeah. Dunkin' Donuts yeah. or of the gas station or whatever. And this is my assumption based on that experience, that Dunkin' Donuts franchises have like a, a list like you would get from your broadliner of the donuts that they can have. Right. And this guy checked all of them. <laughs> there are donuts I'd never seen at a Dunkin' Donuts. And every single one of them was fresh that we got and was legitimately like, this is what Dunkin' can be? And I've never, I'd never experienced it before and I've never experienced it since. Um, and I know that for other reasons, um, because there are a couple families that own a lot of Dunkins in Chicago, they kind of pooled their resources and have a main bakery that bakes their stuff and then takes it to the different Dunkins, so they're not doing any baking in-house. Yeah. Um, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, um, you know, it's the, it, there's a certain diminishment in quality when that happens, just because you travel time and whatever. Exactly. Uh, um, but that that one get Dunkin' in the gas station was just, it was like, ah, it, that that was the... Um, the the only Duncan that's not still inside Plato's cave, like that was the uh, the ideal Duncan, and um, I will never find it again. But it was like, yeah, this is legitimately the apex of what Dunkin' Donuts could be, and they were legitimately like good donuts. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like this conversation is making me want to take time out tomorrow morning on a Sunday morning and go buy donuts, but not from Duncan because I just also ha I, I've I've bump myself up into a new donut 
bracket, right? Like I cannot eat their donuts because I've become kind of, I've I've become kind of a slut for donuts, right? Like there's a place <laughs> near me called Joe Donut, which is fucking great. There's another place that's now kind of a long ways away from me called Something Sweet Donuts. That place is amazing. What they do is they're that place. They do everything. They've got bear claws and crawlers, and they've just like if you if it's roughly donut adjacent, they've got it. They have like uh, um essentially croque monsieur puff pastry kind of things right with ham and cheese on them and all. they go ham it's awesome but that's the kind of place you go into and you're like well i'm gonna spend 70 dollars on donuts yeah. <laughs> you know uh so now i kind of want to go get donuts but yeah. not from there you know what i'm saying yeah yeah it's a cheap shot it's a cheap shot for me to take um take shots at a company that large but this also brings to mind I've never understood the franchising model because you do get such a broad variety of experiences and it's all down to local management. But let's say I was, you know, Bob Duncan, right? Like I'm the guy in charge of the whole thing. It would make, I wouldn't sleep. It would make me so nervous knowing that somebody in Chicago is running their Dunkin' Donuts so badly that it reflects badly on me. I would, I would be a wreck. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of, and, and this isn't, uh, this I guess this is soapbox time with Ben and Steve, <laughs> um, but my dad uh, loves Culver's. I am also a fan of Culver's. Yeah. I don't think we can order from the one here in town anymore because oh, no. every single time, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not um, exaggerating, but every single time when they've come down to visit for the past probably year and a half that we have ordered from Culver's. It, it something has been wrong yeah. either something is missing something is made incorrectly and that to me is also like screams of management um yeah, because either be. either someone's not getting trained correctly or you've put the wrong person on the check the bag station or you know there's there's a breakdown somewhere that i blame management for like i'm not blaming the kid that brought it out to me um yeah, but something is is happening there that just isn't isn't right, and it hasn't affected how we feel about Culver's in general. But that Culver's is probably not going to get much of our business or any you know moving forward because we just it sucks to walk into a place and not um, not know <laughs> you know whether or not what you order is what you're going to get. Um, yeah, you know, or or what kind of mistakes are going to be made. I ages ago when I first moved to Florida. I went to an Arby's, I forget where, and could swear that I saw ants in, like, the Ugh. the trap under the soda machine. Yeah. You know? And um, I was like, okay, whatever. And then maybe it was the same Arby's. Like, somebody um, was like, I ordered something and not fries and had fries. And the guy took them and put them back up under the heat lamp. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, that, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> that. <laughs> That crossed the threshold of what, you know, that that guy had it at his table. Who knows what he did? Um, anyway, I actually wrote or, or I don't I th- an email or something to Arby's. And I was like, look, Arby's, I legitimately think you have something unique going on. Like, I have no ill will toward Arby's. But I don't know sometimes if I walk into them, if it's going to be a nice Arby's or if I'm literally going to be walking into a pit. Yeah. Um, remember, I don't know if you remember the one on... Um, I almost said Colonial Drive, which is in Orlando. The on uh, West Main in uh, Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo. Yeah, that one you literally stepped down into. Yes. When they t- when they turned it into a Quiznos, they tore everything down except the steel superstructure. <laughs> <laughs> 
I loved that Arby's, but let's be clear, during college I was kind of a Philistine. So. <laughs> but anyway, I, I just told him, I was like, look, um, I just, I want you to tear down. <laughs> I was like, I want you to close and tear down some Arby's. Not because I don't <laughs> like Arby's, but because I want you to do it before the health department does. Um, and they wrote me back, or they called me, I think, and they were like, yeah, we uh, we know that some of them need a little, well, a lot of TLC. There's a brand new one that opened up, and they gave me the address. They're like, go in and tell them your name, and you can get a free meal. And I was like, I, I never did that, because like, this yeah. wasn't about a free meal. This was about, please, Arby's. This is like a come-to-Jesus moment. Like, you know, you're, some of your restaurants are filthy. You need to do something about it, or your whole brand is going to suffer. You were having an intervention with Arby's, and I'm yes. sure, like, America appreciates that. <laughs> I'm sure I affected them greatly. There's right in Traverse City proper, so right at the base of the uh, Old Mission Peninsula, there was just this prime location on this major intersection, and there was an old-ass Arby's right there. It was They had no dining room. They had some picnic tables out front, like with the awnings on them, the umbrella kind of deals. But it was mostly a drive-thru. And it was so old that it had, like, the uh, cowboy hat. Yep. Old, old, with the lights around it icon out front. And that came down a couple of years ago, and I was fucking devastated. It was like I heard a friend died, right? Yeah. And, yeah, there may not be that much difference in product quality, Arby's to Arby's, but something about that place it was just magical and yeah now it's gone and i yeah, wish i had known it was coming down because i would have bid on that sign the sign was easy 18 feet tall and i still would have been like yeah i got money for that i don't know where i'm gonna put it and there's no way for me to transport it i want it yeah the one on westnage near the freeway uh, i don't even think it's an arby's anymore but when that sign came down i felt the same way i was like oh no neon arby's sign yeah so now you're segueing like a champion today let's talk about how it turns out uh Arby's is buying Subway. Yeah. Like, this happened two days ago. Um, we have all the meats evidently isn't a slogan, it's a demand. <laughs> so, obviously, Arby's is owned by a conglomerate called uh, Rourke Capital, right? And as we all know, like, investment companies like this are generally pretty much the devil. But... Arby's has remained relatively untouched by the fact that they were an independent thing for a long time and then they were acquired by this and whatever. Subway falling under that umbrella is not a story, right? Because this happens all the time. You've got Yum Brands, you've got mm -hmm. Rourke, you've got, who is it that owns, owns Hardee's? That's a separate one, right? Yeah. Um, I forget which one that is. But like, that just happens. But if you have a a uh, headline that says sandwich chain subways to be sold to Arby's suddenly you've got my attention because I'm like wait 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 I don't go to subway maybe on a road trip we'll have to stop and it'll be like you were saying attached to a gas station and we'll have to get something what are the odds I'll be able to get a thinly sliced roast beef sandwich that's Arby's roast beef at a subway from now on because if I can go to a Subway and get Arby's roast beef, ooh, I might rethink Subway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they, they, like in the article even that uh, you sent, which is very short. Yeah. Um, it just mentioned that, you know, that how big Subway once was and how they've kind of been losing uh, some market share to fast-growing rivals like Panera, Firehouse Subs with more varied menus and newer stores. Um 
but yeah, I agree. I mean, if they if they were to have some kind of new, uh, I would also rethink because I I it's not that I have any sort of disdain or that I hate Subway. Like Subway actually holds a very uh, there's a very fond place in my heart for Subway because when Subway was brand new and the first Subway opened up near us, the first Subway in Lake Odessa when I was in high school, right? And I was like, oh, there's a Subway in the Shell. That was a first like fast food restaurant in. Lake Odessa before the McDonald's came in and that was during the Beanie Baby craze my sister worked <laughs> there but uh um I mean and and you know back when they were everyone was a sandwich artist and they had a um crazy man as their uh, spokesperson actually it was before that even but um you know there was something interesting and unique about Subway and they just kind of I don't think about them at all anymore <laughs> yeah yeah they're just it's not you know it's just out of out of my you know out of my mind so, yeah, if they were to do something exciting. Yeah, Subway is another one of these places where you get a lot of variety in the franchising approach where there are some there's there's one that's actually between like when I go up to visit my folks in Michigan, we come back. One of the places that we tend to stop for gas before we get out of Michigan, there's a subway in the gas station there. And my kids like it because of the customization. Kids love to to have a base thing and then change it to suit themselves. That's a, that's a kid thing, and they love it. There's mm-hmm. a generation of those kids that are growing up. Because we, we kind of have that, you and I, but it's the next generation. It's like uh, generation, like millennials. For, for everything that, you've, that we've, we've shit on millennials for as a, as a species, millennials are the ones who are like, I understand what it is you are making, but I want to have it this exact way for me. Customization is, is everything for them and people younger. Fine. Uh, I've, I cannot say I've ever had food at Subway where I was like, wow, this is really good. But yeah. I also can't say that I've had food at Subway where I've thought to myself, this is awful. But right. there is one that's not far from where we go camping in near uh, Zion, Illinois, north of uh, Chicago, where we don't go to that one anymore because you walk into the place and there's just a sense of dread. You're like, I might be in danger in this building. (laughs) I don't know if it's haunted. I don't know if it's cursed. I don't know if there's like demons there or if it was just like the weirdos who were already in there ordering. Like it just felt dangerous to be in that building. I don't recall that the food was bad, but I'm never going back there. I was ill at ease in that place, you know? Yeah. (laughs) There was one near my folks' place, near the across the street from the casino. It was in the gas station across from the casino that that like closed, and I don't think it was entirely or maybe even at all pandemic related, which is just odd because you think that it's real. That's again the only fast food thing in that area. Yeah. Um, and unless you're going into the casino to eat, there's there's zero food options at that exit so you'd think something like that could have survived and i i don't know why my parents would go there occasionally but uh i think it was also a little i think there's some management issues there you know you, you know uh something amusing is i'm looking at this article and uh um the rourke uh, the private equity firm um specializes in franchised businesses and owns multiple restaurant chains including arby's duncan oh and B-dubs. Interesting. Yeah. So, we thinking like a beef and cheddar donut? Well, I, I'll never have one, so I don't know. <laughs> at least not at the <laughs> one in my neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I would have one even if they offered it. No. No, no, no. 
<laughs> but uh, that's interesting. They they do Duncan like a horsey sauce ice cream. Nah. oh we didn't talk about this sorry to completely switch the conversation when my family was in puerto rico because we haven't recorded since they came back i don't believe right no my daughter asked me if there was anything from puerto rico that i would like brought back for me because i was not going and i said yeah pick me up some coffee they grow beautiful coffee in puerto rico and the problem with coffee in puerto rico is that there's been this stranglehold by the u.s because of the protectorate nature of puerto rico where it was never really financially viable for folks to grow coffee and have it be like single harvest single location you know single origin kind of stuff because of the the trade structure there you grew coffee and it all went into a big bag and it was ground up to make like bustelo or folgers or something like that it was commodity coffee right no reason for that because it's a gorgeous like perfect environment to grow coffee in that's changed fairly recently and so now there's like 20 varieties that you can just get at the grocery store that are high-end whole bean coffee so i told my daughter i was like yeah pick me up some coffee i'll bet you it'll be fine whatever and she's like what do you want i was like you know dark dark roast if you can find it whatever they come back with three pounds of coffee i was like okay whoa (laughs) there's a lot of coffee in that like six pounds of coffee in the house because when i was up in michigan visiting my folks i bought coffee up there as well so like i'm just up to my eyeballs and coffee uh both of the ones that i've tried so far have been amazing in fact that's i was just drinking a cup it was a terrible idea it's already 7 30 at night but i was just drinking a cup of this coffee a second ago and there i i gotta say i'm impressed the the at least two of the three bags that they brought back are really good and the only reason i can't say that about the third one is i have not opened it yet you know so (laughs) i don't know if the export market is as robust yet but if you happen to be in puerto rico man you are in luck if you're a coffee uh, connoisseur like i am well uh, okay so this brings up another coffee thing um so i was just thinking about coffee syrup the other day and i was like hey kayla google to see if there's any pie that's made with hershey's syrup and of course, Hershey's has one, and it's yeah. m- might be the same thing because I think Burger King like has a Hershey Sunday Pie. Maybe come to think of it, and I think like sh- the Schwann's company is the one that actually makes that. Huh. Um, and you can get it. It's this. It's uh, Edwards. Is that what it is? Frozen pies. Right. Um, some something along those lines is the same same pies that because Schwann's owns that company or whatever. But anyway, because uh, I thought I wonder if we could substitute uh, coffee syrup for the Hershey syrup in such a recipe and make coffee pie i um do not know if that is a good idea or a viable idea but my challenge to you is to um find me a recipe that i can use coffee syrup to make a coffee pie let's see hershey's syrup i don't know that i've made necessarily anything with hershey's syrup i mean there's a lot of stuff that um you know it takes like a little bit of a chocolate drizzle across the top of it when it's done like any sort of like a french silk pie has that kind of a thing or when you were saying is there anything that takes hershey syrup my i, I didn't realize that's the direction you were going i well no if I, I, I just wanted something that i could substitute the yeah. coffee syrup just yeah. one-to-one for yeah but like the filling for pecan pie i wonder if you could make that out of coffee syrup oh right like how nuts would that be you'd be awake forever because that the filling for pecan pie is like 
cornstarch and caro syrup and pecans, right? It's it's, it's, <laughs> it's really super gross, whatever it is. But I'm sure you could chuck a bunch of coffee syrup in there instead. Yeah, and that you the the nutty the pecans should go well with coffee, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. What what, what precipitated precipitated what sure. um uh predicated. The, what, Yes, um, was so I got my uh, tiny tiny birthday pie from Grand Traverse Pie Company, <laughs> and um, we were eating that, and then we had it with vanilla ice cream that we had put coffee syrup on, and I was mm-hmm. like, you know, the coffee syrup is going rather well with these cherries, so I just want to write GTC Pie and be like, can there's this thing from Rhode Island called coffee syrup? Don't get the you know, or figure out how to make your own you know GTC Pie because you can do that. It's literally just sugar coffee reduced. Yeah. Um, so figure, you know, and then make me a make me a cherry pie, you know, figure out a cherry pie recipe with that, because I think you could do it in a way that would be good. And then also maybe just a coffee, coffee cream pie or something or or a co- coffee pecan pie sounds actually a pretty amazing. Yeah. I have not made a pecan pie in an absurd number of years. So maybe that's maybe that's the next thing I'll make is a pecan pie and put a bunch of co- I'm not going to put a bunch of coffee syrup into it. Maybe I'll make two because I'm not going <laughs> to give my kids highly caffeinated pecan pie caffeinated pie it's a selling point (laughs) i'll have to see my local grocery store carries a lot of wildly international stuff because of the population of this neighborhood right eastern european and so there's a chance that there would be something like a coffee syrup there i have not looked but i can always do that or figure out a way to make my own i guess yeah i'm i I made some with uh, Folgers crystals. Yeah, it was yeah. not nearly as good as the real stuff, but we had some because we'd used it for something else. And what am I going to do with Folgers crystals? So I needed yeah. to use those anyway. So uh, I just it was just that and sugar, and I just reduced it down forever. So I'm sure if you use, I mean, the the downside is that you're out that good coffee, but the upside is you've made some good coffee syrup. So yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I was just uh, yeah, I was just I was just curious. Like I, I'm I. I'm going to make some kind of something with it at some point. I just Googled. I couldn't find anything other than from the Southern Plate, a coffee pie with meringue that I... Okay. It, since it's Southern Plate, I have a, I'm assuming it's it doesn't use coffee syrup since that's a Rhode Island thing. Um, and then, yeah, I'm also not super excited about turning the oven on in my house right now because like <laughs> it has cooled down quite a bit over the yeah, last couple yeah. of days, but not so much that I want to bake necessarily. It was so hot Thursday that I didn't want to turn any anything on at all in the kitchen i didn't want to turn lights on and so i decided because that's what i had done i was waiting to pick my son up from school so i stopped at a grocery store and i was chilling out in the parking lot and i had purchased some steak and some um what did i serve with it uh broccoli i did I, i did broccoli with it and so when we got home i fired up the grill and i was like i'm not gonna heat up the house i'm gonna grill this steak i cut the broccoli like on the whole stock into quarters and tossed it with garlic and olive oil and salt and pepper and grilled it really hard it was awesome and it occurred to me that it was like 103 degrees outside and i was grilling standing over a grill specifically so i wouldn't heat my house up and i was like everybody better fucking appreciate this when it's not (laughs) hot in the house and they were all like yeah yeah can we go get ice cream i was like yeah okay (laughs) which was a good idea it was 103 degrees out in chicago which is wild that is you guys it's a wild temperature for chicago i can't get over it well, yeah, I'm especially because you've got it, then it's radiating off of everything, too. We found, we were stopped in traffic, which is fine. Like, it was just, it, there, nothing was wrong. We were just eight or ten cars back from the, 
uh, stoplight, but we happened to be near enough to the freeway. The little thermometer in the car rose to 106, and I was like, oh, this is concrete and cars freeway heat. Wow, like a huge difference in air temperature. It yeah. was, I forget about, yeah, like all of these major American cities are heat sinks. I forget about that, that like all they do is absorb heat, heat all day reflect it back and then pump it out all night too like that's we have no idea what the effect of that is long term on like yeah. the health of the planet because how long have we had huge cities like this a hundred yeah. years 70 years yeah wild well the good news is we'll never figure it out well yeah not in our lifetimes yeah right um speaking of chicago yeah. Um, remind us and me especially. Uh, I know we've talked about this before, but you sent me another Maple and Ash update. Oh yeah. That is interesting. Um, and uh... so this Maple and Ash issue is, you know, a, a high-end restaurant that basically imploded in a very public way with huge dispute between the owners and the uh, employees and all this kind of stuff so the most recent thing that's happened in um unsealed uh, court documents is that quote investors claim maple and ash owners spent ppp funds on a two million dollar private jet and if you remember ladies and gentlemen the ppp stands for payroll protection something it's supposed to go to the employees, it's supposed to go to wage employees. This is from Eater Chicago, Ashok Selvam, who I don't know, but he did quote me in an article of his at one point. So he and I, like <laughs> we are we are like internet acquaintances where we follow each other's socials and we're friendly enough, but we don't know each other. Right. Fine. Uh in fact, he quoted and sort of copy pasted a meme that I had done. A while back because what he did an article uh, about people not wanting to come back to work quote post pandemic and I had made this meme of you know the three panel one of the guy riding a bike and then he puts a stick in the spokes and then he falls off and then he's complaining right yeah and so mine was um, the first one was you know uh, employers or like when he's putting the stick in the spokes it's employers offering ten dollars an hour no benefits and then the guy's on the ground and he goes nobody wants to work anymore right so it was that he quoted that part that has nothing to do with this article so a group of estranged investors who sunk three million dollars into maple and ash the popular gold coast steakhouse filed a lawsuit in april accusing the restaurant co-founder jim lasky of fraud <laughs> so instead of spending $7.6 million in payment protection plan funds on the workers, uh, the investors allege that the money went toward personal expenses, like this $2 million 12-seat Learjet. Um, Steve, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. That's a, a, a thing everyone understands. It turns out the more money you have, the vastly, vastly more likely that you're also just a garbage person because you you can afford to get away with stuff, right? That's exactly what this looks like. This looks like people were just handed some money and they went, ha, 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 and did stupid shit with it. Well, yeah, and it, 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 what's surprising, it's not surprising to me that this kind of thing has happened. It does surprise me a little bit how much of it has happened because yeah. we're... Did, did all of these people not think or, or that they would get caught? Like there was no way they were going to get caught, that none of this was going to get traced, that it was untraceable? Because it's all very traceable. Yeah. 
uh, you have to keep books as a restaurant. <laughs> right, right. And at least with PPP stuff, you are they were supposed to have submitted records back to the federal government indicating where all the money went in a payroll sense. And there are payroll taxes to back all that stuff up, and it was supposed to be a thing. Yeah. I believe people just thought, nah, we just won't do that, and it'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, there was that one guy, I forget where, that was like buying cars and real estate or whatever with the ppp yeah. money that may have been florida um but it's just like and and really i mean in the grand scheme of things it is a two million dollar private jet i mean right why why not just buy a two million dollar gold medal that says i stole this <laughs> right right i mean uh not not smart and not done smartly <laughs> So, for background, Maple and Ash, quote, Maple and Ash is one of the priciest steakhouses in Chicago, right across the street from Mariano Park, near Rush and Division. This is right downtown. It's the north side of Chicago. It's also routinely hailed as one of the highest grossing restaurants in the country, at least by restaurant businesses survey results. The Sun-Times reports that Maple and Ash employs 220 workers in Chicago with an average monthly payroll of $748,000. That's a lot of people for a steakhouse. I've never been to Maple and Ash, but holy shit, that's a lot of people to work there. It's a lot of payroll, too. I mean, they, they, the prices have to be high if there's that many people on payroll. Yeah. Um, and is this place still open? I don't know. So it's there's this long-standing legal battle. Mm-hmm where the two co-owners like sued each other over lack of transparency in the financial uh the the bookwork and all of this kind of stuff but i do i do not know what their current status is yeah that because the last time we talked about it was in that context of the lawsuits and stuff yeah. so this was just um something else that's that's coming out and uh because you're in that area you uh it so, came across your radar this article indicates that they're open still. So what happened is the co-owners ended up splitting the company because this is not their only restaurant. They also have uh, Canela Breakfast Club. They have uh, Etta, Cafe Sophie. There's there's a whole bunch of them. So I guess they split it down the middle where one partner was taking some of the restaurants and the other partner was taking the other. And it looks like Lasky... And Chef Danny Grant are at Maple and Ash, and their new company is called What If Syndicate. And uh, the other partner, Pizer, has Etta and Cafe Sophie. <laughs> what If Syndicate? I don't get it. It makes right. as much. It makes less sense than Donut Slut. Sure. Um. So interesting. So together they're being accused of this, or one of them is being accused. It goes back and forth, but I believe it is the like the the law is saying that they're both in trouble, but they keep sort of countersuing each other over it. <laughs> so, oh. um, a WBEZ reporter. Oh, I'm gonna ruin this name. I am so sorry, Dan Miahopoulos. Ooh, I hope I got that right. This story involves the misappropriation of taxpayer money from the PPP. He also pushes back over the notion that this story was a case of rich people fighting with richer people by responding that the money was supposed to go to restaurant workers who are not rich. However, I would say that this is still rich people fighting for money with other rich people. Yes. And cutting oh, out I, the people for whom the money was supposed to go anyway. Yeah, the, the people that aren't rich can't afford to fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so interesting. I wonder if we'll ever get any updates about the one that um, randomly closed in uh, uh, Tennessee, oh. Carolina. Well, that was it was Asheville, North Carolina. It was that burger place. Um, I'm not going to remember what it was called. Yeah, no, I, I do. I have not heard anything about that place since. Yeah, me either. We'll have to look it up when we are able. Um, but it had another it, stupid name like Maple and Ash. Yes, that's what made me think of it. It was something and something, you know, horse horse and bucket or I don't know, something. Not horses. That's the one in California. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was some sort of sage and patchouli or... <laughs> Holman and Finch. Ah, there we go. I found it. But the article I found is the one that we referenced earlier from April 6th. So, uh, And new. there has been no update. And there may not be, because that one closed, right? So, there may... It closed, but they do have a second location in Atlanta. Right. Which I actually, that's, I don't think that is the second. I think it's the, that's the first location, and then they expanded out. Yeah. But it's one of those things that closed and there's a mystery there for us, but it might not be mysterious enough for anyone else to care. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, and the other thing is that restaurants are historically very finicky and you open up a second location, it's all—it's never a done deal. You never know it's going to be successful. And so to a certain degree, like if a place closes, nobody's necessarily going to think twice about it. Unless, like with Holman and Finch, you close after lunch service on a Wednesday and you don't fucking tell anybody. That's weird. That's yeah. like three weird things in a row. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously they're not going to have anything on their website being like, yeah, we closed this restaurant because... So I'm not going to find anything there. Yeah, they're just going to scrub the existence of the other one from the website and uh, move move on with their lives. Yeah. Take their private jet back to Atlanta yeah. and stay there. Who knows? Their PPP jet. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. All right, so do you want to get into some pork and finish up there? Sure. Okay, so... Ladies and gentlemen, once again, this article is from Food Safety News, and this covers something, it's, it's an update on something that we've covered before, which is California a while back passed a proposition into law that anybody who wants to sell pork in the state of California, even if it's being imported just domestically, like let's say it's being imported from Tennessee, has to abide by certain animal welfare rules based on how much space the animal has to move around when it's alive and this sort of thing. The idea is... Treat the animals better or you can't sell them in California. And that's a pretty straightforward law, right? The citizens of California voted for it. They were like, yes, we would like the pork that we eat to be treated better during its short life to becoming a delicious thing. Fine. Yes. So instantly people started suing California over this. And the idea being California by itself is the fifth largest economy in the world. Just California, right? And there are a number of producers in this country who, based on their lack of animal welfare, for whatever reason, right, like that's how they've always been or whatever, uh, are now prohibited from selling into California. And it means a loss of a market for them. So rather than, because they had basically three options, don't sell in California, change the way that they do business, or do this, which is essentially sue California for making these fairly harsh rules. So this article is titled recess dust up may turn into falls battle royale although it's royal not royale as pork producing states want california out of their business so this feels to me like a little bit of a stretch 
to say that California is in their business because California really did just very carefully legislate, look, pork producers in California are going to have to abide by these rules. And anybody who wants to sell in here has to abide by these rules or just don't sell here. That yeah. doesn't strike me as being you have to change. It's just you have to change if you want to sell here. Right. Right. And and their argument is that because Florida is such, I mean, Florida, because California is such a large market, yeah. uh, basically everyone must conform to those rules uh, because of the power that California itself wields. And so far, they've not won this argument that there's been a court case already that's been that they've lost or a similar yeah. argument was lost. Uh, so we'll see uh, if they find uh, a court that's more sympathetic. So this is from the the article. Attorneys, attorney generals, attorneys, attorneys generals. generals, it should be attorneys general. Yes. For 16 states posted a letter to the U.S. congressional leadership on August 9th, urging the passage of the, quote, Ending Agricultural Trade Suppression Act, EATS Act. The EATS Act seeks to preserve states' rights by limiting their ability to impose agricultural regulations on other states. Again, the way the California bill is written, I do not believe that it imposes agricultural regulations on any other state. It's all entirely voluntary. All they're saying is, it's if you want to come into my house, you have to take off your shoes. You could keep your shoes on, you just can't come in my house. That's not a regulation, that's just a term of, of, of commerce, right? So right off the bat, this is very... Uh, like I'm, I'm on California's side because California voters approved this rule. They were like, "Look, we want our pigs to be happier until they become delicious." Nobody is saying out of California, "Hey, Tennessee, you have to treat your pigs a certain way." Right. They're just saying if you want to sell them, you have to abide by our rules. Simple as that. Uh, this looks like it's going to come up before Congress in the fall after the summer recess. Yes, and so because they lost in court, I, uh, they want now the Congress to I impose, you know, they pass a new law saying that you can't pass laws that do what California did. Right. Now, I am always a little bit nervous when I hear, quote, preserve states' rights, because let's be clear, the Civil War was about, quote, preserving states' rights. And that sounds fine, as long as you leave off the part of preserving states' rights to have slavery, right? Right. Which is, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, the Civil War was about slavery. Absolutely. Anybody who says differently kind of wants to have slavery back. <laughs> Simple as that. So, the letter says, quote, consistent with that duty, which is the, the duty of the, uh, the Commerce Clause of the Constitution yeah. to uh, regulate interstate commerce, consistent with that, consistent with that duty, this bill prevents states from impeding ag trade from other states within the U.S., the letter says. States should have the power to command their destiny regarding agriculture production practices. And this bill preserves the state and local government units' right to regulate farming and ranching within their own state. I agree. States should have the power to command their destiny regarding agriculture production practices. That sounds like what California did with their bill. Yeah. I don't really understand why it is they think these 16 attorneys general think that this will change anything. Yeah, well, because the, the, their state's rights uh, preempt California's <laughs> rights. Yeah. Those coastal elites. Yeah. Eating their really tasty pigs. Yeah. And and the the gist of it was that, you know, it's not they they like you said, they can choose to keep their shoes on and just not not come in the house. Yeah. Um but they're saying to survive, they need to be in the house, and they're going to keep their shoes on by 
by God. Well, and it's exactly that. It's an argument of my state's rights supersede your state's rights, which is dumb. And uh, California, to a certain degree, probably can just say, ha we did it first. No, yeah. no takesies, backsies. I mean, they are the reason why emission standards are as low as they are in terms yeah. of like what you can, what your cars can do. Because for the longest time, um, those of you who remember Bob, Bar- Bob Barker, may he rest in peace. Yep. Um, uh, on, I remember watching Prices Right as a kid, and uh, whenever it was a, a new car, it was always <laughs> California admi- emissions. Because at one point, yeah. the cars sold in California had different emissions than cars sold other places. And yeah. then finally, the big three was like, this is dumb. We'll just, everything has California emissions. You know, we, we'll, we'll put catalytic converters on everything or whatever that was to reduce the emissions uh, of, you know, the bad stuff coming out the tailpipe of your car. So yeah. that, uh, because it was easier than making two different cars. Side note, Bob Barker died at 99, which is, of course, as close as you can get to a dollar without going over. (laughs) It's not my joke, but when I read that, I thought, you know what? I didn't watch a whole lot of Prices Right. Bob Barker would have laughed at that. He thought that shit was funny. Yep. Uh, So this act that is being put forth before Congress is designed, like you said, to overturn the Supreme Court's decision for only from May of this year, ruling that with a five to four vote, I'm quoting from this article again, found states have the right to regulate products sold within their state. Uh, so the Supreme Court, uh, problematic as it is these days, already said, listen up, and I'm just going to keep picking on Tennessee. I don't know if this is a Tennessee thing or not. <laughs> listen up, Tennessee. If you're constantly keeping your pigs in cages that are so small that like they're their little fat bellies kind of poke out through the bars and you're punching them in the neck all day. You just can't sell them in, in California. Sorry. You just can't sell those things anymore. Uh, the Supreme court said, nah, this is cool. And so now these attorneys general want to go even over the Supreme court. You're aware it's the Supreme court, right? Like Supreme. Okay. That's yeah. not the direction this is supposed to go. What you do is you have a bill, you have an election it gets ratified, and then you go to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court weighs in on it if necessary, and then you're done. Like, that's supposed to be the end part of it. Well, I mean, they're, they're saying, well, we'll just pass a new law that says this is is wrong, and then yeah. that'll have to get to the Supreme Court, and they'll decide whether or not that new law is constitutional or not. And maybe by then they'll have enough justices on their side to uh, prevail. But, it, yeah, it, it's, it's ridiculous uh, on some level because uh, you'd think that, that the ruling would be enough to, to, to be you know uh at least carry some weight to be like oh okay they said that that is constitutional so if we pass a law making it illegal wouldn't that law then be unconstitutional <laughs> i don't know yeah it's this is also it's it's turned into like obviously it's very politicized and it's turned into a a uh, a binary kind of thing which is well if california's doing this then it's those crunchy leftists who, yes, who hate yes. everything and they hate commerce and they hate america this is primarily an animal welfare bill, Proposition 12, that is just really just says take better care of the animals. Honestly, in a downstream kind of sense, you have to use less antibiotics if the animals are, are caged and cooped up together in very, very small confines. The animals get sick, injured, um, less, and you get more yield out of animals that are healthier. That's just that's just what happens right they they just grow healthier you get better and more meat out of them right simple as that 
initially building those facilities if that's not what you already had is an expense that's fine that's that is an expense but down the road you get better environmental better yield right like all of these things are better and there's no reason not to do it except for that initial economic hit so one of the things that the opponents of this are saying Quote, Californians voted to impose their radical agenda on out-of-state farmers and ranchers, and in doing so, raise food costs for Americans across the country. Uh, I hard disagree. Because the other yeah. thing that I would say is if Tennessee can't sell to California anymore, California being the state that buys by itself 13% of all the pork produced in this country, the excess pork that Tennessee has should, you know, law of supply and demand the price should come down on that for everybody else yeah if capitalism is working the way it's supposed to work see and my feeling is that if if this law gets passed as some of these 16 attorneys general want it to california should pass a law saying it's legal it's completely fine to have nails in your pork and export <laughs> that to other states yeah um because i mean that that they that would be fine then right if it's legal in california it's legal everywhere that's basically what they want to say if it's legal in tennessee to do this it should it's got to be legal everywhere so at that point it's lowest common denominator yeah they're trying to legislate lowest common denominator which is backwards to me yeah i don't know it's I'm on the side of animal welfare groups, primarily because I do have chickens and we do try to take care of them. And it's interesting yeah. to see just them being them. And it's kind of cool. And I feel bad. So, like, philosophically, I'm on the side of the folks who are trying to look out for the welfare of the animals that we're raising. Like, the other thing is that you you get what you get, right? So, like, if you raise an animal really badly and it's sick and whatever and you eat that meat there's a good chance it's not good for you, right? So there's like yeah. a good uh, result from doing that and having that be a food product that you're going to then eat. Mm, at the grocery store, I kind of just buy whatever they've got. <laughs> so in practice, I'm not quite so picky. If we're at the farmer's market and like Finn's Ranch is there, yeah, I'll shell out for like really good pork chops or whatever they've got. Like I bought some chicken breasts from them last week and I smoked them in my smoker and i've been shredding them up and making sandwiches and stuff and it's been great but like yeah will i also go to costco and buy frozen chicken breasts yeah i'll do that do i know if those chickens were taken care of nope no yeah. idea. yeah there is a philosophical practice kind of a divide within me you know well i mean on some level that's what the california law does right it assures you that you don't have to put that much thought in it when you go to buy pork in california right, right. and 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 chicken i mean it wasn't just pork right it was some other animals as well Right. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what the economic uh, fallout would be if, to be able to sell in California, every single pork producer in this country would have to upgrade their facilities to provide more space for these animals to move around in and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what that would require. I don't know what that would, would do economically. It seems like any time the wind shifts, things get more expensive in this country and they never come back down. So yeah. whatever. Let's say it doesn't work. The price of pork is going to go up everywhere and everybody's going to cry poverty. And it's then we're going to see, oh, look, the National Pork Producers Council has posted record profits. And be like, well, great. Thanks. Yeah. Pork used to be a buck eighty-three a pound, and now it's nine dollars a pound, and it's competing with beef. And they're going to blame California, and they're all going to laugh all the way to the bank in Tennessee. I Absolutely. Don't know. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, because if they do get it overturned, they're not going to lower the pork prices. No. Yeah. Again, though, we might see that thing that happened with butter and with eggs, which is the price came up to the point where it's on par with either your local or your cage-free or your Amish butter or wherever, and people started buying those things because they were like, fuck, if I'm paying five fifty for a pound of butter, I may as well get the Amish rolled butter because that stuff's awesome, but I was yeah. not going to buy that when a pound of Land O'Lakes was $1.73. Right. And so if that happens, yeah, large producers will see a decrease in their popularity and in their market share because people are going to go, look, I didn't buy the good stuff because the price difference was so huge. The price difference is not huge anymore. I may as well get the Phil's cage-free eggs, you know? Absolutely, yeah. So they could end up legitimately pricing themselves out. I'm here for that, too. Yep, yeah, agreed. Yep. I'm all about the vote with your dollars thing. Like, the, the, the folks on the right who claim that cancel culture is terrible and all that love to cancel stuff. Man, they were shooting uh, Bud Light when Bud Light suddenly had a trans spokesperson for, like, three seconds. <laughs> Whatever. I'm all about vote with your dollars. Again, that Duncan that's near my house, you will never see me in that place again. We could be having a tornado, and that's the only safe space in the entire area. I'm dying. I'm going to die in that tornado. I'm not going to that Dunkin' Donuts. She'll still be icing that cake. She probably is doing it right now. Yeah, it's 8 <laughs> o'clock at night on a Saturday. She's in there just tiniest offset spatula you've ever seen. <sighs> still angry about that. It was the middle of last week. <laughs> Uh, one interesting thing that I saw is that this also feels like a move, like a larger move by these uh, attorneys general, because from this article, it says um, this new report notes that the EATS Act, the Exposing Agricultural Trade Suppression Act, would not only unwind two landslide state elections, but would undo more than a thousand other state laws, according to an analysis from a team of legal, team of legal analysts at Harvard University. So this also feels like they were waiting for like one more big thing to happen so they could write or draft a law that would dial back a bunch of ag protections at once yeah well i mean i imagine there'd be repercussions even beyond uh agriculture possibly depending on how it's written if it gets written now, I don't recall, because I'm, I'm certain that the California law wouldn't have been written this way, but I don't recall exactly how California handles international imports to California. But we certainly can't dictate the uh, conditions under which animals or food in general is raised in other countries, but we do the exact same thing to other countries. So what these attorneys, generals, attorneys general are opposed to is exactly what our foreign trade relations looks like anyway which is like we don't buy certain things from other countries because we don't like the way that they do business or the way that they handle the product before it gets to us nobody's opposed to that nobody's opposed to hey we're not going to import this baby food that's produced in china because it's got like mercury in it nobody is against the mercury the ban on mercury baby food right Right, But when we're doing it within this country to better the welfare of the animals that we're going to eat, all of a sudden it's the end of the world. Yeah. So strange. <laughs> uh, it's the world we live in. Yeah. So this is one that I'm going to keep watching because, man, do I eat a fair amount of pork. And I don't necessarily want to spend a ton of money on just like regular ass pork because sometimes again i'll go to that farmer's market and i'll get pork chops and just be like you know what i'm gonna grill these till they're like medium and then they're gonna carry up to like midwell and they're gonna be amazing and whatever but sometimes i'm like i'm just gonna 
braise this pork shoulder and make pulled pork out of it. It's going to have a bunch of barbecue sauce. So it doesn't need to be the best pork of all time. Yeah. But if those prices creep up, then I might start looking at getting the good stuff all the time. If that's if I'm spending the same amount of money, I may yeah. as well make sure it goes to to the folks who are producing the better stuff. Yeah. And you do you wonder what the uh, incremental um, degree of being better the the pulled pork would be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did get a pork shoulder from Finns, and I smoked it and did pulled pork, but I didn't put any barbecue sauce on it. It was pretty good. It's pretty darn good. <laughs> Not going to lie. I believe it. All right. I think that's as much as I want to get into with this. Because while I while I do understand the, like, functionality of regulations like that, the, like, political intrigue stuff bores me just to fucking tears. Yeah. Because it always ends up being... It's like whenever we talk about people who are suing Texas Pete Hot Sauce because it's not made in Texas. When you really dig down into it, it's not interested parties ever. It's people who are like, how do I make money out of this thing? Yeah. The attorneys general for these 16 states are not pig farmers themselves. They're using this as political leverage to get a bunch of other stuff they've written into this bill. And they're using it as a way to cement their re-election in something and I, like it's always that kind of stuff and or you know they're taking a bunch of money from the pork lobby and they're just yeah. doing what their overlords are telling them and then at that point i'm just like you know what this isn't about pork anymore this is about something else and i am now bored i'm checked out do you think the pork lobby pays in bacon i would hope so because then they could start bribing me i would yeah <laughs> I'd, I'd, it might I'd be, be more effective yeah i'd be talking all kind of pork products <laughs> Yes. There is a type of, I want to say it's where you take a bill, a fairly straightforward bill for something, and you put a whole bunch of other stuff in there as riders. I think that's called pork barreling, but I don't yep. recall exactly, uh, which seems kind of mean to pork in general. Like, why you got to bring pork into this? But at the same time, I'm like, no, I get it. Like, I understand that <laughs> in a visceral sense. Um, lingering here, I they just scrolled up from that. Um, and, and I, I imagine you haven't tasted any, but is your text that says you're going to do an autumn harvest pickle, cucumbers, and beets? Yes. Did you? And did. how how long before you're able to actually sample those? So I made those, what is the date today? Today is the 25th? 26th. 26th. So they have been in that brine for 10 days. I'm gonna, I was going to give them two full weeks before I tried them. But I okay. did, ladies and gentlemen, in case you were... Wait, I don't know that we have talked about this. Did we? Did we talk? We did. We talked about this very briefly because you asked me about the um, eggnog seasoning, the eggnog spice mix. So, ladies and gentlemen, I grew far too many cucumbers this summer. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to need to. I have like 900 <laughs> jars of pickles now in various forms. I have ginger, garlic, uh, pickles that I pickled with rice wine vinegar. I have a basic... Uh, like a bread and butter pickle i have like a salt cured more like an israeli pickle i've got i did one other one i forget what the other one was but then i had a couple of cucumbers left and i had gotten some beets while i was up in traverse city visiting with my folks and my younger brother and i didn't know what i wanted to do with them but i knew they were all mine because my wife hates beets and so my kids have not tried them or they don't like them i forget what it is i'm the only one in the house that eats beets and I made some joke about wanting to pickle, to make uh, uh, pumpkin spice pickles, because I mean, obviously we're coming up on the fall. 
And that sounded terrible, but I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose, right? Because I just have this <laughs> insane abundance of cucumbers. So I made two jars of small cucumbers that I picked. So they're probably two and a half inches long. They're pretty little. That are pickled with just basic pickling spices and a little bit of apple cider vinegar and regular white distilled vinegar, sugar, salt, water, the whole deal, and pumpkin. Oh, and red onions and pumpkin pie spice mix. And then I did the same thing with some beets. So yellow beets and like candy striped beets. Uh, they're in jars. I, I hot packed them. They are sitting in my um, kitchen lab, pickling away, and I will try them after they've been in for two weeks. Everyone I've talked to about this has thought it sounded fucking gross. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I think it sounds gross, but I'm terribly curious. Well, you also don't like pickles in general, so right. Yes, for you, true. that's that's something you don't like with pumpkin pie spice on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's like I said the last time we talked about this. You've got cloves. You've got allspice. You've got. Um, there was one other thing that's in pickling spice. So like three out of the five of the spices that are in, oh ginger. So three of the five that are in pumpkin pie spice anyway are already in, like, the basic pickling spice mixture, you know? So it ain't that far. Cinnamon is weird. Like, I wouldn't get a dill pickle that's got cinnamon on it and not be like, wait, what is this? <laughs> you know? Like, that is a strange flavor. But beets take, because they are a root vegetable, they're not unlike a sweet potato, they're not unlike things that you would serve sweet, you know? Beets take those sweet spices better than cucumbers do for sure. So that's going to be the real test. Are the cucumbers going to be good? I bet you the beets are going to be fine. The cucumbers, I don't know about. <laughs> well, I mean, cucumbers don't really taste though, right? There's, maybe it's my association, but cucumbers are a brighter, more of a treble kind of a flavor, right? That's like a okay, high, yeah. you want to put acid with them. You want to go tomatoes and citrus and like cilantro and garlic ginger sort of these like i don't see like cucumbers and mushrooms together that's not really a thing cucumbers and cucumbers and like chocolate that's not a thing you know um you don't you wouldn't put slices of cucumber on a steak right tropical fruit yeah um random other question tangentially related um can you can you pickle with balsamic I, I presume you can. I never have. I don't know how acidic it is. Because you have to have a certain level of acidity to be able to pickle safely, right? Right. Uh, also, it would be very weird. That's a very heavy... Like, maybe you could do pickled mushrooms. I have seen those before. And you could do... Balsamic is so rich. It's so flavorful. I don't... You're going to lose the flavor of whatever it is you're pickling, is, is my worry. Kayla made a, a tomato salad that I think had to sit in the balsamic, but it wasn't for like, you know, weeks. It was just for yeah. a while before we ate it. It was really good. And I just, I was like, I wonder if you can pickle. I mean, you don't pickle tomatoes, but could you in balsamic? <laughs> and would you, or would they just like dissolve eventually and turn into some yeah, mushy I mean, madness? Balsamic is a bully. Like I really yearn for the day when as a country we can get past the balsamic drizzle because it's too much. It's always been too much. There's no, you take something that is as flavorful as balsamic vinegar and you're like, you know what I'm going to do with this? I'm going to reduce it. I'm going to concentrate this flavor. I'm basically going to make like a cricket bat out of this and just hit you right in the fucking teeth <laughs> with it. 
balsamic is a bully. It's a really, really strong flavor. You make a balsamic vinaigrette. The balsamic vinegar itself is maybe a fifth of the total volume of the vinaigrette, right? Yeah. You've got mustard. You've got honey. You've got um, oil. You've got lemon juice. You've got salt. You've got all these other things you're putting in that vinaigrette. And still, it tastes way too much like balsamic, right? Like, that's just what it is. Somebody sometime in the early 90s was like, nah, I'm going to reduce this down to, like, vinegar napalm and then drizzle it across something that's got a super delicate flavor, like a caprese salad. You can't taste anything except the balsamic. So I yearn <laughs> for the day when we get past that, when balsamic drizzle just goes the fuck away. Because it's always too much. Always too much. There's balsamic, and then there's blackstrap balsamic. <laughs> right? Like, balsamic drizzle is a punishment to whatever you're putting it on. Or you're trying to cover <laughs> something up, right? Like, weird. <laughs> but if you have something that is as light and as fresh and as perfect as fresh mozzarella, tomatoes, basil, olive oil, salt, that is perfect. And then they're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hit this with a cinder block, right? <laughs> balsamic <laughs> drizzle. Ah, that's rude. Absolutely rude. Now, if there are ways to do it, right? So, like, if you have a plate and you've got a bunch of olive oil on that plate and you sprinkle in a little bit of balsamic vinegar, not a reduction, and put some salt and pepper on it and you're dipping bread into it, great. That's fine. Because whatever. What you want to do at that point is eat the balsamic, right? You're not there for the bread at that point. You're not there for the oil. You're just getting the balsamic into you. Fine. It's just so strong. I don't know whose genius idea it was to reduce it at some point. Like, come <laughs> on. Somebody left it on their porch in Chicago when it got to 106. And uh, <laughs> they came home and it was, it was done for them. Like, balsamic does to your mouth what like our parents always told us wearing headphones was going to do to our hearing like permanent <laughs> mouth damage if you're eating balsamic drizzle on stuff if balsamic reduction is is it's, it's it's not a hate crime but it is like physical abuse it's like getting mugged it's like your taste buds getting mugged so the balsamic tomato ice cream you're out no 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 but like again if you're making a fresh tomato salad with like mint and feta and you're throwing olive oil on it, and you're throwing uh, a little, like a splash of balsamic in there, and you're tossing it together, and then some of the juice comes out of the tomatoes because you've got some salt in there as well. That all comes together just fine. If you have, like, the same texture as toothpaste balsamic that you're just <laughs> glazing the whole thing with, uh-uh. It's too much. Uh, I want Ben's uh, salad paste company to exist where all of your dressings come in toothpaste tubes that you oh, God. squeeze squeeze onto your salads. I also can't stop myself from buying balsamic. Like, I'll go to, I'll, I'll be at some sort of a specialty food store kind of thing, and I'll see balsamic vinegar, and I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'll buy some, and I have, like, four bottles of unopened balsamic, and I'm like, <laughs> I always forget that I already have it, and I never use it for anything. I'll make a balsamic vinaigrette right around Thanksgiving pretty much every year because I make a spinach salad with toasted almonds and sliced pears and brie, and it's great, but it's not I didn't concentrate it, right? Like, it's not like this crude oil slobber that's going on top of the thing where you won't be able yeah. to taste anything else. I, I didn't realize balsamic vinegar bothered me so much until just yeah. now. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe that's actually what Folger's crystals are made of, and someone didn't set it for long enough, and that's how the concentrate came about. Could like be. It didn't, 
it didn't get you know it wasn't dehydrated enough to get crystallized or whatever and they're like what are we gonna do with this and i don't know put it on some put it on a salad they took it down to a syrup and they just didn't take that next step yeah <sighs> i don't know i have a vendetta against balsamic all of a sudden it's really weird <laughs> At the school, it is without question our most popular dressing. We're making balsamic three times a week. So I'm the only one, maybe. <laughs> that may have something to do with how you feel about it. <laughs> that could be. All right, Steve. So anything else before we wrap up? Oh, no, I think I'm good. All right. So I always forget to put this at the top of the episode, ladies and gentlemen. But if you want to get a hold of us, be part of the conversation. Uh, in the weeds wbr at gmail.com is the best place to uh, get a hold of us in like a long form setting uh my instagram is chef ben randall where you can see all of the you know holiday what autumn autumn harvest pickles that i make because i didn't want to call them pumpkin spice pickles and other stuff that i do you'll see my chickens on there and steaks that i'm grilling when it's 103 degrees out if you want to find us on Facebook, we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. If you just look up In the Weeds with Ben Randall, and Steve runs a website for us. InTheWeedsWBR.com. Where you can read through all of the legal minutiae of this EATS Act, um, which wants to force California to abide by the absolute bare minimum laws of the rest of the country for pork production. Uh, which, I, again, I'll be honest, I got bored reading the political machinations <laughs> of that whole thing. Yeah. But I think that just about does it for me. Steve, starting Monday morning, so two days from now, I will be into full swing, feeding all the kids, but I'm fully staffed, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be an awesome school year. Hope I'm not jinxing it, but this is <laughs> probably the most confident I've felt in five years at this job. Good, good. Coming in fully staffed, everybody's trained, everybody likes each other. Everything seems to be looking pretty good. Everything's coming up Millhouse. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> All right, so for In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. We'll talk at you next week. Bye-bye. Hopefully things will still be going great at work.